Thanks for joining us. Talkline Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. Welcome to the podcast. You are now tuned in to this episode of our podcast. Today we are going to interview some of the greatest and most influential minds in our field. And now, please welcome your host. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. Welcome back to the program. I'm Zev Brenner. Always an honor to have Professor Alan Avi Dershowitz on the air with us. He's not only has his finger on the pulse, he's a prolific writer. His 52nd book is called Get Trump. Welcome back. It's a number number one New York Times bestseller, Get Trump. Not yet, not yet. Not yet, but it will be, it will be. So were you prescient because your book is coming out just as Donald Trump announced he's going to be arrested in a couple of days? Well, it was obvious to me that um, they were trying to get Trump, that people were just determined not to allow him to run. I'm not a Trump supporter. I voted against him twice, probably will vote against him a third time, but I don't want to see a district attorney decide who anybody can vote for uh, or a U.S. attorney or the Justice Department. Uh, he hasn't committed any crimes. They're making them up and it's wrong. And this is a liberal Democrat talking, not a conservative Republican. Uh, and anybody uh, who cares about justice should know that you know, the Torah says there are two commandments for judges. One, don't take bribes. That's obvious. But the one that comes before that is lo takir panim. Don't recognize faces. Don't do targeted injustice. Don't say, I want to get this guy because of who he is. Um, a great justice of the Supreme Court, Robert Jackson, once said that any prosecutor can rummage through all the statute books and find something to get almost anybody. And that's not the way justice should work. And that's the way it's operating against Donald Trump. Now, they seem to be getting him what should be a misdemeanor. They claim he had an affair and covered up the affair by paying money and it should have been reported as election expense. If I remember reading correctly, isn't there a statute of limitations? Even if it were to be correct, isn't there a statute of limitations on this kind sure. of case? Sure. There's a statute of limitations of two years for misdemeanors and five years for felonies. And this happened six years ago or more. And so there is a statute of limitations. But there's another problem. You can't prosecute somebody in state court for a federal crime. And there are many, many problems. You don't combine together. Uh, what they're doing is saying one plus one equals 11. Um, um, they're, they're taking a state misdemeanor statute, and then they're saying, but there's a federal felony, which there isn't. And so we can turn the misdemeanor into a felony, exactly the opposite of what Bragg is doing in general. Meg, Bragg is generally turning felonies into misdemeanors. He's refusing to prosecute many felony crimes, including crimes that endanger a life and, and safety. But he's now trying to turn a misdemeanor into a felony. He can't do it. Uh, the problem is, as you know, we all know, in New York, I hate to say something unkosher, but famously it's been said that in New York, a grand jury will indict a ham sandwich. Uh, let's make it a tuna sandwich. Okay. <laughs> In New York City, you can also get a prosecution against the tuna sandwich if his name is Trump. Um, you know, you you know that Trump is very unpopular in most of New York, and the jury pool will include a great many people who, who will do anything to see him prosecuted and not allowed to run for, for office. Of course, that won't work, because even if he were to be indicted, prosecuted, 
convicted, sentenced to prison, and imprisoned, he can still run. There are only three criteria for how to run for president. He has to be 35. I think he makes that. He has to have not fought in the Civil War on the side of the South. I think he makes that. The only one there's a problem with is, was he really born in America? After all, he said that Obama was not born in America because <laughs> he lived in it. He was born on an island off the coast. And of course, Trump was born on an island off the coast, too. It's called Long Island. And so under his own absurd analysis of the requirement of being born in the United States, of course, I'm making a joke, a bad joke. But there's no way that he can be disqualified from running. So how can prosecutors think they can get away with this changing the law in such a blatant, obvious way between the fact that misdemeanor statute limitations run out, federal statute bring into state court? So many problems that you're pointing out. How were they? What's the th reasoning? And can they get away with it? Well, there's no reasoning. Uh, the question is, can they get away with it? And that's the way they think. Bragg thinks he'll get reelected if he manages to get Trump. Remember, Letitia James ran on the platform of getting Trump. That's where I got the title of my book, essentially. Get Trump. That was her platform. I will get Trump. I promise you, I will get Trump. So, of course, if she doesn't get Trump, she won't get reelected. And Bragg is following the same, the same uh, playbook. Uh, he doesn't care if the Court of Appeals reverses. That's not his fault. Blame that on the judges. He prosecuted. He investigated. He indicted. He went to trial. That's all he needs. And um, it just is very scary. You know, it was Lavrenti Beria, the head of the KGB, who once said to Stalin, show me the man and I'll find you the crime. Uh, Lo takir punim. Don't recognize faces. Don't prosecute people on the basis of their names, on the basis of who they are. That's why we have the blindfold of justice. You know, if you go to historians, they'll tell you, the blindfolded statue of justice comes from Greek mythology. Nonsense. It comes from Shoftim. Shoftim. Lo takir panim. That's how far back it goes that law enforcement officials are not allowed to do individual prosecution targeting individuals. What you have to do, as Justice Jackson said, is you have to find a crime first. And then once you found the crime, you can see who did it. But here they're saying, let's find the criminal first. And then let's find some crime that we can charge him with. That's just not the American way. So meanwhile, it can take a year or longer to go through the court here in New York before it would even get to an appeals court, in which case that time period would include the election period. That's right. And, you know, people keep saying it's the first time a former president has ever been indicted. That's not the important point. This is the first time a man running for president has is being indicted, running for future president. So this is not about the past. This is about the future. If you start indicting people who are running for president for for Mickey Mouse crimes, um, that's a banana republic. And this is a Mickey Mouse crime. You know, they have searched the first prosecutor to try to get him. No. Uh, the federal prosecutor. No. The attorney general. No. Now, after years and years and years, they came up with a mouse. A mouse named Mickey. This is a horrible abuse of justice. You know, I, I used to think that Bragg was a Democrat worth voting for. I would never, ever, under any circumstances, vote for Bragg um, based on this performance. He's putting on a show. It's a political circus. Whether you like Trump or you hate him, if you like the Constitution, if you like the rule of law, 
if you like Shoftim, Lotakir Ponim, you do not accept what Bragg is doing now. So let me answer this question. The president, President Trump, came out saying that people should protest. Should, yep. it, should it turn violent like it happened on January 6th? Can he also be indicted for future charges of sedition and incitement to riot just by saying that people should protest? That he's, he's, going to, he's going to go to, he's being, uh, I guess, uh, jailed and being uh, uh, right. put on, indicted. Look, I don't like the January 6th speech. I don't think it should have happened, but it's protected by the Constitution. When the January 6th committee played that speech, they, they doctored the tape and they took out the words, peacefully and patriotically. I wish he hadn't given that speech. Look, protests. What do you think happened in the United States after George Floyd was horribly murdered? There were protests. There's protests all the time about being either being prosecuted or not being prosecuted. So protests are protected by the Constitution, not only free speech, but the right to petition the government for a redress of grievances. And so I would not myself participate in a street protest, but I am myself engaging in the kind of protests I engage in. I write books about it. Get Trump is my form of protest. And your form of protest, and I would appreciate if you did this, is to make my book Get Trump a bestseller. Buy it. Get it on Amazon. That will send a powerful message to prosecutors that people agree with me on the issue of getting Trump whether they're Democrat or Republican, liberal or conservative, get anybody is not the right American approach. But it seems to be getting worse and worse. Not it's getting, getting any worse. Better. And by the way, you know, Israel borrows from the United States. The United States is borrowing from Israel. In Israel, it's, it's getting Netanyahu. Uh, the prosecutions against Netanyahu are also, uh, for the most part, phony prosecutions, taking a, a few cigars and some uh, liquor and... Uh, uh, making an arrangement whereby he would support a bill if they gave him good coverage. That's, that's an everyday occurrence everywhere in the world. And so we're seeing the United States and Israel are both deeply, deeply divided countries. And the divisions are not helping either country. The vast majority of Americans and the vast majority of Israelis are centrists. They don't want extremism on either side. And all they're getting now is extremism from the left and extremism from the right. And the few of us who are still in the center, the civil libertarians, the ones who don't care about politics but care about the law, we're being outnumbered. And we'll get to this one, just a few moments. You're, I know you're in the center, and uh, the Democratic Party, and I think you said, has left you. You haven't left the Democratic Party. Okay. But uh, what do you make of the fact that the Democratic establishment is behind these efforts to get Trump? And the irony is, is this may make him more popular, may even help him get elected, because people don't like to see, correct me if I'm wrong, they don't, unless it's Donald Trump, they don't like to see political persecution. I agree with you, and I think that any party that moves closer to the middle is going to win. That's why Biden won. He was perceived as close, closer uh, to the center, and I think he personally is. But I think there are a lot of Democrats who are uh, moving toward the extremes. Just a poll Gallup. Gallup poll the other day showed for the first time in history, a majority of Democrats supported the Palestinian cause over Israel. Now, I can understand being critical of Israel. How can anybody support the Palestinian cause? They were offered a state in 1947, 1948, 1967, 1990, 2000, 2001, 2005, 2008. Turned it down every single time. How do you support it? They, they engaged in terrorism. 
it's bigotry to support the Palestinian cause. These are people who don't care about the Kurds. The Kurds were promised the state. They don't use violence like the Palestinians did. And nobody cares about the Kurds. It's not about supporting Israel. It's about, uh, I'm sorry, it's not about supporting the Palestinians. Actually, very few do. It's about hating Israel. It's about refusing to accept Israel. And the worst offenders are, are Jews. And the worst offenders among the Jews are Jewish leaders. Let me name names. Let me name names. The Ramaz School. Ramaz School. They called on me and asked me if I would educate their seniors and juniors about what they're going to face in college. And I agreed to do it. They said, how much are you going to charge? I said, nothing. I'm doing this because I believe in it. And then a couple of big machers and contributors said, no, 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 Dershowitz is canceled. We don't want him. So the students at Ramaz, as the result of the machers, are now denied an opportunity to hear my views on anti-Semitism on campus. I am the most qualified person in the world to speak on that subject. I've spoken on more campuses than any other human being when it comes to Israel. And the Ramaz School turned me down. Temple Emanuel turned me down. Um, uh, the 92nd Street Y turned me down. Jewish leadership in America is a disaster. It's been a disaster since the Second World War when Jewish leaders would not speak up on behalf of our brothers and sisters uh, in Europe. And Temple Emanuel was among those who wouldn't speak up and among those who wouldn't support Israel's establishment. So Jews have to take responsibility. We're picking the wrong people to be our leaders. We're selling our people down the river, and they're doing it because the leaders tend to be the wealthy people who want to maintain their position, want to keep their role as part of the establishment. They don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to endanger their positions. So we have a real problem in America and among American Jews, and it's called the leadership. We're assuming we're Harvard Law Professor Emeritus, the Honorable Avi Alan Dershowitz, his 52nd book is called Get Trump, and it's a must-read if you want to know what's happening in this climate of getting Donald Trump. I know you, you're a poet to some of the Jewish. We need leadership. There's no question we need leadership. But the Democratic Party, when you see the numbers, and you don't find the same thing in the Republican Party. The Republican Party is still staunchly pro-Israel. You see the Democratic Party for a while has been moving to be anti-Israel. The latest numbers show that a majority of Democrats support Palestinians over Israel. Do you still you see yourself as a loyal Democrat considering the party no, has left you? I'm not loyal to the Democratic Party. I've never been loyal to any party. I'm loyal to the United States. I'm loyal to Israel. My big disappointment is our former student, Chuck Schumer. Shomer Israel. where is he? Where is he speaking up? Where is he? Where is he complaining about the fact that uh, Democrats don't support uh, Israel. Where are the other people who are in Congress or in the Senate? Uh, you know who our leaders are today? The leaders today in the pro-Israel movement are Chabad. Chabad on campus. Today it's taken over Hillel. Um, I helped found the first Chabad on Harvard's campus, the first Chabad ever at a university. Today there are close to 400 of them. And they are training our future leaders. Um, they, organizations like Stand With Us, Camera. Uh, organizations that really are willing to put themselves on the line. These are not organizations that are uh, led by rich, prominent Jewish phonies. Um, these are organizations that really are from the bottom up. They're grassroots. They're doing great things on American college campuses. I've stopped contributing to a mainstream Jewish leadership organizations. I contribute the same amount I always contributed, maybe more, but I'm doing it now to Chabad, 
I'm doing it now to stand with us. I'm doing it now to camera. And I urge everybody to change their contributions and make them count. Don't, don't contribute to make Jewish leaders more prominent and more influential. That has backfired. Do you see any correlation between the rising anti-Semitism in America and also the change in democratic opinion vis-a-vis Israel? Yes, I do. The Jewish leadership is failing. They're not addressing these core issues. Um, they're not addressing uh, the growth of anti-Semitism from the hard left. Oh, every time there's a shooting on the right, they're, they're there. Oh, boy, you, you shoot somebody uh, and it's a right winger. Everybody is there. Let me tell you, the right wing does not endanger America today. Yes, there are shootings. Those are police issues. And we should do everything to stop them. But the great danger to Israel and to Jews comes from the left today. I'm a person of the left. I'm a person who's a liberal. But that's where the danger is coming from. Why is the left more dangerous than the right? Because the left is the future. There are students. There are professors. There are the people who 10 years from now, the students now, will be in the editorial rooms of the New York Times and CNN and MSNBC, which have all turned against Israel. Uh, These are the people who will be in Congress. They'll be running for president. And we're not doing anything about it. American Jews have to fire their leaders. Um, They're just not doing the job. You sound like Rabbi Mary Kahana. Well, I'm not like Mary Kahana. No, but I said you're just saying the things that he used to say. I only believe I represented Mary Kahana. I knew him. Um, His parents and grandparents and my parents and grandparents were friendly in Williamsburg. We debated each other on numerous occasions, and I respected his questions, but I'm not like Meyer Kahana. I do, I am like Meyer Kahana in the rejection of American Jewish uh, leadership, but he also rejected me uh, as an American <laughs> Jewish leader because I wasn't conservative enough uh, for him. But, um, you know, he called me three days before he died. He called me on Thursday night of the Monday he died, and I represented him pro bono on numerous occasions. Um, speaking at Brandeis, he did that on the Thursday night before the Monday he was killed. I was his lawyer and I was his lawyer on a number of occasions. We disagreed. But in the old days, you could disagree with somebody and still talk to them. Today, I don't know if, if you're if you are pro-Trump, uh, the anti-Trump people won't talk to you. And if you're anti-Trump, the pro-Trump people won't talk to you. Um, that's been a division that has moved from the United States to Israel, tragically. No, absolutely. I believe you debated Rabbi Kahana on my show many, many years ago, but I remember yes. you, always, you always used to say you liked his questions, didn't like his answers. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I liked some of his answers, but I didn't like violence. Uh, I, I don't think, look, violence is appropriate on occasion. I think violence uh, for the underground during the Holocaust was absolutely essential. Violence to create the state of Israel against the British and against the uh, enemies of Israel. Those are occasionally uh, permissible, but, you know, generally we ought to seek the way of um, rational discussion. And I had some rational discussions uh, with Kahana. Now, just to shift to Israel, Israel, as you pointed out earlier, has become like the Democrats and Republicans in the United States. It used to take 10 years before American values went to Israel. I think it's happening a lot quicker. Uh, we're right. seeing that division. Now, what's happening is, though, is the more liberal elements, the left is basically saying the changing, or the proposed changing of the judicial system is an erosion of democracy. Your perspective? Well, first of all, my two closest and oldest friends in Israel are... 1966, Aaron Barak, the president of the Supreme Court, the man who is allegedly responsible for the revolution. He's my oldest friend in Israel. 
My second oldest friend is Benjamin Netanyahu, who I met in 2000, uh, around there. And, um, and these are the two really protagonists in this fight. And I think they both have points. I think the Israeli Supreme Court today has too much power, too much authority. I don't think they should be deciding whether Aryeh Derry can be in the uh, government or whether Netanyahu can be the prime minister or whether the gas deal with Lebanon is reasonable or unreasonable. I agree with the right on that one. Where I disagree is I think the Supreme Court should have the last word on minority rights, due process, free speech, religious freedom, all of these core fundamental issues that courts are supposed to be checks on democracy. Courts are not supposed to be democratic. Again, read Shof Dim, how far back it goes. Judges are elite. They're supposed to tell the people and the populace, you can't always get your way. Free speech, nobody really likes free speech. It's always free speech for me, but not for thee. But the courts say, no, free speech for everybody, due process for everybody. I care deeply about that because my job is due process. I tried to bring about due process for the worst people in the world, uh, horrible criminals, horrible, horrible people. And the Constitution demands that I defend them and give them due process. If you took a vote on that, I wouldn't get any votes. That's why the courts and the Constitution are so important. Israel doesn't have a written Constitution, so it's crucially important that the courts have the last word uh, on issues, minority rights, due process, free speech, basic fundamental rule of law. Let there be override on other issues. So I'm in the middle and I'm trying desperately to bring about a compromise. I'm not on Netanyahu's side. I'm not on Barack's side. I'm on Herzog's side, the president of Israel. I think he is desperately trying to bring about a resolution in which both sides have to compromise. The problem is both sides are winning. How can both sides be winning? Because it's helped the Labor Party. They were dead in the water. Now they have all these demonstrations. They're going to get more seats in the Knesset next time. And it helps the extreme right on the uh, uh, Likud and other side. It helps people like Smutridge and Ben Gavir and Levin and others. And so when you have the extremes on both sides winning, it's very hard for them to give up anything in order to move to the center to compromise. The only people that are losing are the majority of people in Israel who want compromise and want something in the middle, but they're not getting it. But isn't the core issue is the appointment of judges? That's one issue. And the second issue is they want a 61 majority of the Knesset to overturn the Supreme Court. I can understand there should be more of a democratic role in determining who the judges are. 61 votes. And I said this to um, to Simcha Rothman, who's the architect of the right. judicial right. reform. And I said, to, first of all, you galvanize the left, I told him. But I also mentioned to him, you're empowered today. Tomorrow, the Labor Party could be empowered. They could overturn. 61 is like a crazy number. It's a crazy number, particularly for things like human rights. For human rights, you know, you make it 90, uh, not, uh, not 61. In terms of how to appoint people, I have a solution. Uh, I don't think the current rules are, are, are correct. In the current rules, the three judges, the three justices can veto any nominee. I would eliminate that. I would have only two uh, justices or judges on the commission. So you can get a vote of seven to two. You need seven to appoint the justice. Um, but I would also make sure that a majority of the people on the election commission, on the judicial nominated commission, are not politicians. I don't want to see Supreme Court justices be kind of Lee could hanger honors 
who are being rewarded for their service. I want the most qualified people in the country to be judges. And I think there's room for a compromise. Eliminate the judicial veto, but also eliminate the idea that um, a majority of the commission should be members of the ruling party. That makes no sense at all. And of course, in America, that's the way it is. President appoints, the Senate confirms. If the Senate's in the hands of the president of the same party as the president, obviously it's all political, but it hasn't worked. It's a terrible system. Again, Israel, don't borrow our worst systems. It's much better to go with systems that exist in other countries where you have non-political appointment, an appointment process without vetoes by judges. So I'm happy to sit down with Rothman, with anybody. And, you know, when I've sat down with these people in private, including Netanyahu, I met with him for a long time. Last time I was in Israel a few weeks ago, and I met with everybody on the other side. Obviously, I met with Barack, I met with Gantz, I met with Sharansky, I met with everybody, Smutridge, with Ben Gavir. When you talk to them in private, there's room for compromise. But when they get up on their soapboxes, nobody wants to compromise. And the losers are Israel, which is losing the war of public relations in a horrible way, including among American Jews. Look, the reform rabbis, rabbis for peace and all those people, they hate Israel no matter what. There's nothing Israel can do right. But I'm talking about, you know, conservative and even some Orthodox Jews um, who are upset about what's going on with the judicial reforms. And what we need is a compromise. There are people who are generally on the side of the right that are being critical of the right asking for too much. People on the side of the left, like me, who are critical of the left for not being willing to give up some things. So I think compromise is essential. And, and, I, and I think that President Herzog is doing exactly the right thing. It's the role he ought to be playing as somebody who's above politics and in favor of um, uh, a democracy which recognizes the rights of the minority. I hope there is a compromise, but the way things are going, it seems like nobody wants to budge an inch. I agree. I agree. And that's I agree. A the same thing. thing is true in the United States. Nobody wants to budge an inch in the United States. You know, it's interesting. Usually these kinds of extremes, communism versus fascism, occurs when there's a Great Depression or horrors that are going on in the world, World War I. This is the first time in my lifetime we're seeing this kind of division at a time when things are going well. Things are going very well in Israel. Things are generally going well in the United States. Why do we have this extreme division, extreme intolerance? And it, um, you know, it impacts the, the Jewish community very, very deeply. I mean, how do you explain Temple Emanuel inviting paying, I think, $25,000 to Peter Beinhardt in order for him to try to lecture the people of Emmanuel why there shouldn't be a nation state for the Jewish people. So they pay him $25,000 to urge the people not to support Israel. And then they cancel me, who had spoken there for like six or seven straight years to 1,600 people, the most uh, popular speaker that they had every year, and the same thing with the 92nd Street Y. Why are Jewish leaders doing that? I don't want to personalize it, but it's personal. I mean, if they're not allowing me, who is, I'm, I is think- it because, Is it because you supported Trump or had to do with Jeffrey Epstein? Well, no, it had, it had as much to do with, well, first it had something to do with my defending Trump. On the Epstein thing, the woman has now admitted publicly she admitted it, that she now recognizes that she you know, may have 
confused me with somebody else. You know, I've been completely exculpated and completely, uh, uh, you know, found innocent of, of this absurd thing that never happened. I never met this one, never heard of her. Um, you'd think that maybe if it was Epstein, they would say, um, all right, sorry, little Chuva, we made a mistake. We want you back to speak. No. Again, I have plenty of places to speak. It's not about me. It's about what happens when Jewish leadership has this power to shoot themselves in the foot. And what's happening now is because I can't speak at prominent places like the 92nd Street Y and Temple Emmanuel and Ramaz, colleges are saying, oh, no, we don't want you to speak on Israel, even though we know you're an effective speaker, because if the Jewish people, the Jewish leadership won't have you, how can you expect us to have you? Well, you always, so have, an open, you always have an open door over here. Um, well, I pre- and in many other places. And, you know, I speak at Chabad and I speak at many other places. Um, and uh, but but uh, major organizations, uh, they don't want trouble. Even when the Epstein thing was still alive, the rabbi at Emmanuel told me and the head of the 92nd Street Y and the head of the Ramah School, all three of them said, we don't believe a word of it. We know you never would do anything like that. But, quote, we don't want trouble. That's what they said during McCarthyism. So if you agree with me, call Temple Emanuel, call the 92nd Street Y, call Ramah School. Frankly, they won't care unless you're donating money. But uh, but because, uh, you know, the Jewish leadership is responsive to financial contributions, not to grassroots concerns. Finally, when the Democrats were in power, the Republicans criticized them for having these hearings about Donald Trump in January 6th and indicting him. Now the Republicans are in power in the House and they're doing the Hunter Biden story and the Biden family. Is it the same thing or is there some more substance in the current investigations? There may be more substance in one or the other, but it's the same thing. Today, criminal justice has become weaponized and it's all partisan Whoever controls one branch of the government is going to go after people on the other side. And that's just not the way criminal justice should operate. When I first started teaching, which is now 60 years ago, um, the rules were different. Uh, It was nonpartisan, uh, much more nonpartisan. It started really with the Bork confirmation hearings when the Supreme Court turned very partisan. Then most recently with Merrick Garland, where the Republicans refused even to allow Garland to have a, a hearing. And we've turned the justice system political. I'm going to end with one story. It's a wonderful story. President Hoover, who was one of the most underrated presidents, if not for the Depression, it's like Mrs. Lincoln, other than that, did you enjoy the theater? Uh, other than the Depression, Hoover would have been a great, great uh, president. And when Oliver Wendell Holmes, one of the greatest justices in history, retired at age 90-something, um, Hoover asked his attorney general to make a list of the 10 Uh, most prominent judges in America who could replace Oliver Wendell Holmes. And the attorney general presented a list of 10. On the bottom was a man named Benjamin Cardoza. And the president looked at it and said, it's a great list, but it's upside down. Uh, I want Cardoza. And the attorney general said, no, no, you can't have Cardoza. He's Jewish. There's already a Jew on the Supreme Court, Brandeis. Uh, He's a Democrat. Uh, We're Republicans. He's a New Yorker. We have two or three justices. New York and president said, I don't care about any of that. I don't care about any of that. I want the best judge in America to serve on the Supreme Court. He appointed Cardoza and Cardoza served with great distinction. Why can't we get back to those days? Great story. Harvard Law Professor Emeritus 
Alan Avi Dershowitz's latest book is a must-read, 50-second book called Get Trump. And you want to know what's happening in the, as far as getting Trump? This is a book to know and get to read. What's your 53rd book going to be about? It's called Who Shall Live and Who Shall Die. It comes from the Yom Kippur service, and it's about how the law determines issues of life and death, abortion, assisted suicide, uh, all of those very difficult, very difficult issues. So that's my next book. It's done already, and it'll be out in a couple of months. And I guess in time for Rosh Hashanah, right? <laughs> I, I write every day. I love to write. Uh, and uh, as long as I can continue writing, I'm 84 years old. I have a goal. I want to continue to my 60th book and to my 90th birthday, if, if God Till 120. Gives me the, the strength and the intelligence to do that, I'll be very happy. You know, we, we need you. We need your voice. We need you to speak out. You're a strong advocate for Israel. You're not afraid to. And, and listen, you've paid the price. So look what's happening. We on the left, they've shunned you. People on the right have shunned you in the past. So, but you stand strong in your convictions, and we admire you for that. I I believe in principles, and I'm going to live my life in a principled way, whether I'm popular or unpopular. Thank you. Keep up the wonderful work. I can get to 120, 120 books. We're, we're ready. Thank you. That'd be nice, yeah. Be sure to share the podcast on your favorite social media channels. Thank you for tuning in to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast, the pulse beat of the Jewish community. For continuous Jewish programs, talklinenetwork.com or our 24-hour-a-day listen line at 641-741-0389. For past shows, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms, or jewishpodcast.org. Thanks for listening to thetalklinenetwork.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.